Harup acknowledges the traditional owners of the land this podcast was recorded on. The Bunurong, Bunurang, and Wurangi Wodurang peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past, present, and emerging, and extend this to all First Nations people. Globally, today we are faced with the most complex sustainable development challenges in history. So how do we solve these challenges? One thing's for sure, we can't do it alone. Welcome to Arab's podcast, Sustainable Forces. It's a podcast about people joining forces to help solve the most complex sustainable development challenges. My name is Dr. Michelle Dickinson. I'm an engineer, nanotechnologist, and science communicator, and I am on a mission to uncover how people are working together to positively impact the planet. Today, we are talking about change. Over the past few years, change has been rapid, constant, and in many cases, out of our control. With the uncertainty of the pandemic and the climate crisis, some people may have experienced feelings of hopelessness or the desire to help. Inside all of us is a potential change maker with the power to harness this pace and affect positive change in the world. The great thing about making change is that no matter what your profession, your skills can help to bring about meaningful change. Now, this is something I am really passionate about and one of the reasons why I founded my own company, Nanogirl Labs, who's dedicated to helping everyone meaningfully collect with STEM. To help you to discover what kind of change maker you are, I am joined by two incredible guests today. Firstly, Eleanor Loudon, who's a CEO at Engineers Without Borders, who's joining us from Melbourne. Hi, Eleanor. Hi, happy to be here. And also joining us is Dr. Sunny Oliver-Bennett, Community Engagement Leader for Arup in Australasia. And she's joining us from the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. Hi, Sunny. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for having me join. I'm so excited to have a show filled with change makers, and there is a lot to talk about today. So we're going to get started with discussing how change making is part of your day-to-day roles. Eleanor, we're going to get started with you. Can you talk to us a little about your role at Engineers Without Borders, including things like your organization's reach and when your passion for change started? <laughs> okay, I can't remember when I didn't have a passion for change. I think um, my mum was a feminist nurse. Uh, educator and uh, she brought me up well. So I think I always had a passion for change, um, felt like people can make a difference and, and um, really, you know, uh, from, from uh, yeah, very, very early days, remember knowing that as individuals and collectively we can we can make change. My mum taught me that very deeply. Um, here at EWB, um, it's EWB Australia, so we're part of a, a global network of EWBs. Um, and uh, all of us work in educating or sort of systems change through education and training and delivering engineering differently so that people who are being left behind by global development have access to the same engineering resources that the majority do. So um, that's sort of what we do and uh, I love it. Every single day I turn up to work and uh, every day is a little bit different 
but sort of on track um, with a vision, with the vision that we have from our 2030 strategy. So it's even though it's diverse and interesting and there's a lot that we do, um, we're very focused on, on our goal. Well, thank you, Eleanor's mum, for being that positive role model that she needed to get started. <laughs> Sunny, I'm going to move over to you. Can you talk to us a little bit about your role at Arab? And when did you first know that you wanted to create change? And can you also chat a little bit about the collaboration journey that you've been on with Engineers Without Borders? Absolutely. Likewise, I think my parents have had a big influence on on my life and my passion to affect change. My earliest memory was when I was 12 and my family travelled to Zimbabwe uh, to meet up with my dad's side of the family over there. And it was the very, very early days of the, the impact of the Mugabe regime and the confronting uh, nature of homelessness um, and the situation there was so um, apparent to me and from that moment forward I thought something does need to change and, and I want to be part of that change. And later in life and through my study um, I then thought business, business is the answer to this because business is a potential force for good and evil <laughs> but has the opportunity to really create change at scale and so I took on a PhD in corporate social responsibility about 15 years ago. And what that showed me was that business can do well by doing good. So that was really, really promising. Um, and I think from then in the last 15 years, a lot of businesses have now got on board with this movement around social value and sustainability and the UN SDGs. And it's a really exciting time now to see so many organisations globally really embracing this as part of their core business and looking at B Corps and, and other models that they can adopt. So working then in the not-for-profit sector for around 10 years across mental health, imprisonment, Indigenous employment um, and empowerment, and also humanitarian engineering, I thought if I'm going to work in the corporate sector and for an organisation, it has to be one that's really driven to create change, that has this drive sitting at, at their core, um, and it has the leadership that's, that has the right vision, but also has the determination to create change. And so through that process of, of working in the not-for-profit sector, I had partnered with Arup before in one of the roles that I took on with Engineers Without Borders, actually. Um, and there was one person in particular that sat within Arup and and he had that vision. He has still has a legacy, even though he's retired now, Peter Botel. But I felt really inspired by his vision. And you can see a lot of the conversations and the trains that or the seeds that he planted along the way are now in train, um, which is which is still inspiring today. So I came across to Arup to work for Arup. And now I lead the Australasia Community Engagement Program at Arup. I think one of the great things you mentioned at the beginning is um, is that we can now do this through both charity and through business. And I think, you know, a couple of decades ago, you had to make a choice. Um, I know that when I set up Nanogirl Labs, we set ourselves up as a for-purpose, for-profit business. And I mm. think there's a huge landscape there around how all of these groups can actually work together for positive change. Um, yeah. And talking about positive change, Eleanor, it's a big meaty topic. We could spend all day, but we don't <laughs> have all day. So change, look, there's lots of different takes and perspectives on change. Do you have a theory of change that you can share with us? 
at EWB. Um, yeah, it's, it's absolutely vital that you do and you're working towards change, understand um, what is it that you're trying to affect and what the goal is that you're trying to achieve and then to constantly go back. It's a living living theory. It's a hypothesis. And so you're constantly testing it and checking it and, and adjusting it. Um, our theory of change says that um, we – because we're a social um, justice organisation as well, we do actually believe in systems change. We don't think we can do this alone, as Sunny just said. Like we absolutely rely on our partners to, to um, implement our theory of change. We start with um, education and we start with educating um, even from sort of primary school, high school age, introducing the idea of engineering and the power of engineering to affect change. Um, we see that there's... Um, greater interest and certainly diversity of interest when you talk about um, real-life scenarios and you give um, young people hands-on experience of, of what it feels like to be an engineer making a difference in the community or for the environment. Um, so that's where we start. Then we go into, you know, first-year engineering where curriculum integrated. So um, from the get-go, um, the founders of EWB in Australia said we want to sort of be reaching people at scale as they start their engineering, you know, professional journey, you know, so studying engineering, have they've chosen that as their career? And so um, at the moment, you know, 10,000 or more first-year engineers um, go through an EWB course, um, curriculum integrated course a year, partner with 28 universities on that at least. So that's where we go. And then we move into, you know, different levels of the degree. We go up to PhD level, co-facilitation of PhDs on in, you know, into our work. Um, and then we switch over into training of professionals. So again, at scale, trying to um, work with our companies, our partners and individual professionals to have an experience of what it feels like to um, engineer with breadth skills. So engineer as socio-technical professionals, not just purely technical professionals. Um, so we give people hands-on experiences with communities, work, um, what it feels like to work with community, what it feels like to listen, what it feels like to come in and not know the answer um, and, and to design um, with communities. And so we do that through um, throughout our regional program. Um, we've got um, offices in Cambodia, Timor-Leste, Vanuatu, and we work in um, remote Aboriginal communities too here in Australia and Torres Strait Island communities. And then we switch over into, okay, so then we want to actually prove that when you when you um, engineer this way as a socio-technical professional, it works. The investment you put in up front in the designing with and the contextualising of your solution actually pays dividends in the long term. And so then we're, we're actually delivering engineering with communities um, to help them achieve their aspirations um, so, you know, again, in those countries that we work in and end up in, um, in, in the remote parts of Australia. And we do that, um, largely through volunteer contributions. So engineers going in as volunteers. Um, and so practicing, facilitated by us, practicing what it, what it looks like and feels like to be this kind of engineer. Um, which you're not really taught in university and it's hard to practice really in, in sort of um, engineering practice in corporate Australia. So we give them this experience. Um, you know, they say that you're, when you, um, what is it like? there's a bunch like 10,000 hours or something you need to do to become an expert. We give them a, a, a you know, a, a significant amount of time. Most of our volunteers go for up to a year and work with us to, to learn this. 
um, and then take that back to their companies. Um, and then uh, the results are for the communities and for the planet. And so our goal is a, is a, um, a goal of a million people directly attributed um, impact through EWB over the next 10 years. So real life change that we can attribute directly, not indirectly through their families and so on and, and the greater community actually directly, you know, attributable to EWB being there with them. So that's our theory of change. It starts from um, introduction through education, training, through practice to delivery. And then we switch that back around. What have we learned? We switch that back into the curriculum that we teach again. So we're actually learning um, from the work that we're doing on the ground. And having taught um, at university level engineering, your programs are so impactful because it really, a lot of my students came in with that passion for change, but not really sure how they could make it. And so thank you for that. I've really seen it um, in real life. Um, but, you know, you did say something about proving how it works. And so, Sunny, I'm going to move over to you. Look, change and impact can be really difficult to measure sometimes. And so I'd love to hear your views on you know, do you share a similar vision to Eleanor and have you been able to measure tangibly change and if things are actually working? So Arup donates a percentage of our profits each year into the community engagement program and being a member-based organisation, as I mentioned before, our staff are our shareholders. So we have a responsibility as a firm to make really strategic decisions about how we invest our staff's money, essentially. So yes, we have to think strategically about the investments that we make and ensure that we are creating the most value that we can through those investments. So we've been on an impact measurement journey for around six or seven years now, or even longer aligning with the UN SDG framework as a starting point and also setting a strategy in place for the program globally. So we've done that through bringing together five different regions around the world and aligning our thinking and in line with the UN SDG framework, but also several thematic areas of focus. And I think that strategy has been really core for us to then go, okay, which partners should we be working with to achieve what we've set out to, which community clients should we be working with, how should how best can we work together and how can we learn as we go and continually refine this process. So we're, we're still on that journey and it's not like we've got all of the answers, um, but what we've started to do is work out what are some of the key questions that we should be asking both our staff who are participating in these programs and also of our partners um, and what are some key metrics and some data that we should be collecting. We know that from an Arab organisational perspective, we're starting to see some great statistics around attraction, satisfaction, retention, even around brand equity and competitive advantage. Because if we go back to that concept around business doing well by doing good, I think all of that is, is really key um, for Arab. But simultaneously and as importantly, we're looking at outcomes for community organisations and our community clients. Have our projects met the needs of those community organisations from the initial conversations we had when we were scoping projects? Have we worked on projects that could potentially be replicated or scaled to create even greater impact working with other communities or organisations? Um, has there been positive feedback from the partners around transparency of communication and clear communication? And are we starting to see a contribution to the UN SDGs that specifically align with that project? 
And a lot of this for us is relying on our partnerships, such as those with EWB, because they're the ones that are working on the ground closely with community day in, day out that have contacts on the ground. And for us to be informed by them about the type of data that they're already potentially collecting um, through their ongoing programs, or are there some gaps where we could assist as well and and work together on that. So the theory of change that Eleanor mentioned has been a process that we've worked on together, we've curated it together, um, and we've worked out what are the key inputs, outcomes, outcomes and longer-term impact we're trying to achieve based on the current situation that's happening in the communities that we're working in. So unusually, I think for us with Arif and EWB, it's the first partner that we've got where we've actually got a partnership theory of change. So we've actually bought Arif's theory of change and EWB's theory of change and we've sort of looked at where the crossover is and we've created a, a unique one for this partnership, which is really, um, really interesting. I really love that. I love that you're both bringing up partnership because this is a big part of what we talk about on this podcast, the power of partnership and working together and examples of how you do this collaboration. So Mm. why don't we dive into some of these partnership um, examples with something tangible? Is there a way you can sort of talk about the work in action and the impact they've made on the community and things you've done together? So Eleanor, is there an example you can talk about that you've worked with Arup? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So EWB, obviously, like as um, Sunny just mentioned, I think it's over 10 years now that we've been in partnership and, and there's a, a great level of, of trust that evolves over that time. Like we've been through the thick and the thin um, and we really, really can just pick up the phone and have a chat anytime, um, it, which is hugely valuable. Like there's a great, great trust there. Um, so some of the so, and I and I think one of the beauties of what we do is um, we learn together. So there's been some great outcomes. Uh, we won an award. I think it was at uh, earlier this year or end of last year from Philanthropy Australia. I think it's the first time Philanthropy Australia has recognised um, a, a corporate partnership and particularly a pro bono corporate partnership it's usually individuals and it's usually money so this was really unusual for them Um, but it is that impact that you can have when you contribute um, technical skills people power to a project and and that's the tangible result of that and so that award was for a piece of work we did in Vanuatu Um, we work with the ministry there and we were developing up some guidelines for um, sanitation in, um, in emergency environments and uh, Arab provided the technical support to, to develop those guidelines and um, it's rolling out now. We're still doing that. Um, it's been hugely recognised by the Vanuatu government. It's um, been recognised by the Australian philanthropic community. So that's been um, at scale, a piece, a really great piece of pro bono work. And then we go right down to community level. And so in First Nations communities in Australia, Arab's been walking alongside us in those communities for a long time now. Um, and so we've had some really great outcomes and then we've had some really great learnings there too. And so um, to me, the way that we work with Arab at scale in policy development, in guidelines and right through to community work is, is exactly how it should be. Some of the learnings that we've had, and we've, Sunny and I have been talking about this recently, is 
is um, as our team grow um, and we're localizing increasingly um, our, our teams on the ground, they don't know our corporate partners and a lot of them are based in um, Cambodia, Vanuatu, Timor-Leste and they need Vanuatu, they're Khmer. They don't know who Arab is. They don't know even what the potential of the Australian engineering community is. And so there's an education piece Sunny and I have recognised now in, in helping our our teams on the ground know more about Arab and, and and understand what's possible through Arab, which is which is fantastic to move to this, this next level together. It sounds amazing. Sunny, from your perspective, I mean, there's so much to go through there. What do you think some of the most impactful things that um, you have seen achieve through this sort of partnership? Oh, thanks, Michelle. I like I like that, Eleanor. I, I often refer to us as being almost tri- triage nurses <laughs> as opportunities <Totally>. come in. <laughs> it's it's how do we how do we translate the the community need um, and connect it in with the right technical expertise? And I think that that educational piece that you mentioned before is so crucial um, from a partnering perspective when you've got organisations from you know, that are completely different in how they operate day to day and how they see the world. So I think that's that's the role that, that you and I and our teams really play in that space, um, which is which is really fun. Um, in, in terms of, you know, the impact that we're having and through the partnership, uh, another great example I think is through is through your educational programs um, and training programs for our staff. I mentioned before that one of our measures um, of success internally for ARAP is around providing opportunities for our staff to get involved in professional development and, and to really nurture them as development leaders, as change makers, um, and provide opportunities for them to learn about humanitarian engineering and apply it to their day-to-day work. Um, so that's something that EWB has been working with ARAP on for a number of years now through multiple training opportunities. There's an impact boot camp, for example. There's an immersives program where our staff can go off and spend time in country or travel overseas hearing from elders and traditional owners around culture and the impact of engineering out on country or visiting community partners in Dili and in in Timor-Leste. So that's all really practical for our staff and often then those staff follow this development journey where then they'll take on champion roles within ARAP, whether it's leading a local community engagement committee or if it's taking on a project manager role for for one of our pro bono projects and you can see um, the journey that these individuals take both within EWB like often they've actually come as students from a university chapter at EWB then they may even come and work for Arup and and then they get involved in EWB projects again so I think it's a great example of where there's a lot of intersections and opportunities for our organization so, that the organ- both of our organisations are creating for these individuals. Mm. Yeah, agree with that. And Eleanor, you've sort of already talked a little bit about some lessons learned about, you know, some people don't know about your partners, but one of the things about collaboration and partnership is you have to compromise. And with that comes some challenges and maybe some lessons learned. And you've both talked about going to physical places that are sometimes very different culturally or remote areas. And so there must be lots of lessons you two have learned along this journey. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Eleanor. Uh, What do you think your biggest lesson is? you've learned along the way we know that we can't 
do this alone, right? Like we work in complexity. And I think um, increasingly there was a time back in the day where people uh, um, really liked the idea of a, a, a single solution. There's got to be this one thing that we can do that's really going to make the big change. Um, I think most people now recognise that that's not the case, that, that, um, that change requires a, a systems lens and um, that you really need to continually reflect, ask why, listen, and work collectively. And so I think um, I think increasingly for me, like so when I think about our partnership with Arab and our other partners and our partnerships with the general public, you know, like people there's a there's a recognition now, I think in the engineering sector, and I think just generally that, there is no um, one size fits all, that we have to be um, constantly in communication and constantly working with our partners on the ground and constantly working alongside community to really understand what's happening, especially in this fast changing world with what, you know, the climate um, considerations and so on right now. It's, we have to have um, built up trust and built up communication and and be really dynamic. It's a dynamic systems-based approach. And so I think um, that's the biggest shift that I'm seeing, the biggest learning that I'm seeing um, in all the partnerships that we have um, and and in the sector in general and even beyond to the general public. So I think um, it's actually a relief to now be in a situation where we don't have to explain that anymore. Arab always understood that. Others didn't um, to the same extent. You know, the general public has taken a while to catch up. And so it's, it's, it's wonderful now to be in a situation where people know that we, we can't um, – we don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. What we want to do is just be working real time on real solutions and having real impact, and that requires um, listening, working closely together, strong communication skills, strengths-based approach with communities, understanding where they're at, where they want to go, and, and sitting beside them and walking alongside them. Um, so I think that that's been a massive learning for everybody and wonderful. And Sunny, look, we've been really privileged over the past few episodes to hear lots of examples where Arup has collaborated and it's worked really well. So can you give us some examples of your key lessons learnt around uh, collaboration, um, especially around this impact and change maker space? I think when it comes to partnerships and collaborating, you can liken it to any relationship, mm, totally. yep. right? So um, you, you don't want to jump into bed with someone too quickly um, before you've gotten to know them as an example. So I think for Arab, it's about building a relationship um, and be very conscious about a values alignment, that you have a shared goal um, and that you have a clear agreement in place on how you're going to work together and how, how you're going to engage. I think for us, it, you know, we'd, we'd test out the waters first and we'd you know, we'd, you know, maybe get involved in a small project or initiative before we just signed up to a three-year partnership agreement. Um, because without that in place, I think the the alignment of what you're trying to achieve can, can be out of whack. 
Um, there's a great framework from the Global Partnering Initiative, which talks about, you know, the importance of scoping and building relationships. It talks about managing and maintaining, reviewing and revising and moving on. Um, I think the bulk of the work really needs to happen in that scoping and building phase, because if you if you miss that and you just jump into delivering, um, which can often happen on projects, particularly for the for the doers and the very practical people in those teams, then you're missing the most important bit, which is setting it, setting it up for success. It's having the hard conversations about who are the people and the communities that could be impacted by this project or who are those stakeholders that we should be engaging early on to advise on the direction this should be going in. It's not just, it shouldn't just be about the solution, but it should be asking the hard questions up front. So I think that's that's really important. And if if only more of us did that in um, in our, you know, vetting conversations in relationships, maybe, you know, from the outset, maybe we'd, you know, it, um, you know that there'd be a, a lot more um, success. Yeah. So I think the other key one is around this moving on because there's times when, you know, the, the partnership, you're sort of both trying, but it's not quite aligned. So I think for Arab, we've been in positions where we have moved on from long-term partnerships when we've tried multiple different times in multiple ways and both organisations have, but it just hasn't aligned in terms of what our needs are. It hasn't lined up. And I think being really honest with yourselves and your partners around when it's not working and, you know, you keep trying but it's taking up too many resources. I think that's that's really key as well. And the third thing would be around making sure that the partnership doesn't solely rely on individuals because we know particularly in this climate the great resignation, um, you know, whatever you want to call it, there is there is movement and, and it does happen that people move on. And so how can that partnership be more than just individuals? How can it be a partnership of organisations coming together that has multiple touch points within both organizations it has a strong or like a robust agreement in place that clearly outlines what the long-term goals are so that others can come in and, and keep mm. running with it yeah yeah I'd agree with all of that Sunny I think they're excellent points and and I like that one about it's okay sometimes to walk away you know like you know for, for us it's you know when I talk about this collective approach to to change um if you're not on the same path if you don't have the same goal or or your way of getting there is is not you're not aligned it's okay you know it's it's you can step back yeah I feel like we could exchange this for marriage counselling as well as all of the relationship advice in life too which leads us to our sort of um what do you think I'm in the wrong no, career? I just think it's highly transferable. <laughs> well, it's all about relationships. Isn't it? People say partnerships and they throw around this word partnership and partnership can mean so many things, but it is honestly about relationship. Everything Sunny and I have just talked about here, trust, communication, you know, shared intention. Yeah. Yeah, and the honesty and the integrity and, and being yeah. able to say, hey, we tried it, but it's not working, it's okay. And celebrating and recognizing when it is going really well, you know, like I think that's also something we could apply to relationships. 
Yeah, for sure. And we talk a lot in this podcast around it's not failure, it's about learning and then being able to share some of those learnings so that other people aren't maybe falling into the same traps or the same expectations. And so we're going to move into our top tips section. Look, there's going to be lots of people listening, thinking, actually, I want to do something. This is for me. How do I get involved? How do I make change? Um, So for everybody out there who's going, yep, I want to roll my sleeves up and I want to do something. Um, Eleanor, you have provided some really great insights today, both of how to make change, but also how to make positive impact. So if somebody is listening and they want to start creating meaningful change, can you give them some tips to help them get started? Yeah, and I think I'm really, you know, when we launched our strategy, we launched a um, 2030 strategy linked to the SDGs in, in August of 2020. And at that time, we put a lot of thinking into calling out that we wanted the sector to shift. We, ne- we knew that the sector needed to um, step into more of a leadership role, and I'm talking about the engineering technical sector, um, in, in the face of, you know, social inequality and, and um, climate crisis. And so we were like, okay, we're going to put this up front, we're going to put it up front and centre. And I've seen in the last two years since that strategy has been launched that the sector is shifting. If you saw the Engineers Australia um Climate conference, climate smart engineering conference. Recently, I went to it last year. It was really spectacularly good. It was I was so impressed. I think the sector is shifting. So I think whoever's listening to this and you want to make change, um, most organisations now are starting to consider how they might do that. And Arab is is a front runner. They've been doing that for a really long time. But most organisations now recognise that there's the CEOs globally are making you know, big calls on emissions targets and, and um, calling out social inequity and, and, and engineering's role in, in changing that trajectory. So I think there is real opportunity now for, for those in the technical sector. I'd suggest that um, in this changing world, what we really do need to see is socio-technical you know, professionals. Um, if you continue to think of engineering in isolation, in a silo, and you don't um, consider um, the importance of being able to listen, being able to work with other disciplines, being able to work collectively. Um, it's gonna you're gonna struggle um, in this changing world. So I'd suggest that if you you're really interested in starting to make change, look at where you're currently working. Look at who you, you'll probably find that there are others around you who are feeling the same way, and start to get come to EWB. We've got great training on um, how to, to to develop those socio technical skills. Yeah. And so if you are looking around your organization and maybe it's not as progressed as you would like it to be, Sunny, um, do you have any advice for those who really want to embed change into their everyday work, but maybe need some help influencing their workplace or their managers to try and do that? Yeah, look, I, I think it, it doesn't, in my view, it shouldn't matter where the organization is at in terms of its change journey. If it's set up as a B Corp and it's driven to create social outcomes, you know, there'll be a role for you. If it's an organization who's not as progressive, maybe it's more compliance based, there's still a role for you there too. So I think it's about being creative um, and taking initiative, being really proactive and thinking creatively about how you can get involved in that and and be the change. So the first thing I'd probably do is do some research to try to understand are there any strategies in place already from a sustainability perspective or ESG 
Um, is the organisation, in your view, you know, forward thinking and proactive or is it more compliance based? Um, who are the leaders? Who are the people in the organisation that are driving that change and are having those those conversations, set up set up meetings with them, take them out for a coffee, find out as much as you can, learn as much as you can, do your research and start to think about what what part of that you'd like to contribute to. Um, it It's all, there's, there's always opportunities. It's just about realising those and realising the impact that you can have with your skills. And I think particularly in the built environment, everyone who has technical skills can make a contribution, whether that's through you know, supporting your local local community organisations, offering your technical skills and providing structural advice on, you know, on a local not-for-profit building or if it's about, you know, setting up an advocacy campaign or research piece around homelessness in your, in your local city, that there's, there's so many things that you could do um, off your own bat even to start in a volunteer capacity that you can then share with your organisation and say, look at what's possible. There's other opportunities for other staff to get involved as well um, and, and present those opportunities. And, and I guess don't, don't feel like your position within the organisation, whether you're more junior, if you're a grad, should be something that um, challenges you or, or stops you from meeting with the CEO. Like you will find, like I have at, at Arup over the years, that the senior leadership team are approachable. They're so happy to meet up and, and have a coffee and, and make time. Um, so definitely go go ahead and do that. We've often found that we have grads approach us about working on projects and that then becomes a great way for them to learn skills in, say, a project management role. They can then apply to their commercial projects as well. So it doesn't matter if, you've, if you're starting as a grad or you're doing a cadetship or if you're a middle manager that wants more experience in community development or disaster response and recovery, um, you, need to, you need to create the opportunity for yourself within the organisation. There's actually um, this spoken word poet at the moment that is really inspiring me. Her name's Ali Michelle. Um, and I just want to read uh, a little from one of her recent poems that that may um, help you if you're feeling that despair um, that we spoke about at, at, at the start of this session. One of the strongest trees is the redwood. Her roots grow so deep that even when a storm hits, she does not yield. And yet the seed will not germinate until a wildfire touches it, meaning that some of the most indestructible forces in life are grown from the ashes, meaning that when you feel like your life is going up in flames and the path forward is clouded by smoke and you're gasping for air, coughing up the last of your hope and all you can breathe in is despair, remember that your struggles are the fire you are forged from. Remember that suffering only ever deepens your cup so that there's more compassion for the hollow hearts of this world to drink from. Wow, so powerful. I don't, I don't think we can top that, Sunny. Thank you for sharing and a, a really great point to just stop and reflect. And sadly, that is all the time that we have for on this episode. I feel like we've covered some marriage and great relationship counseling. <laughs> I also feel like we've really seen the insights of the power of parents and adults around young people as positive role models. So if you are in that space, remember, there are young people looking up to you to see what you are doing. And Sunny, you made a statement that you can be the change. And Eleanor, you agreed, but said, but you don't 
don't do it alone. I think this power of partnership in change making is so incredible. I want to thank everybody for listening. And I really want to thank you too, Eleanor and Sunny, for all of your insights. Thanks so much, Michelle. Thanks, Michelle. If you want to learn more about what we've discussed today, you can access links to the projects in our show notes. Stay tuned for our next episode in two weeks to explore if your city needs rebalancing. And make sure you subscribe to Sustainable Forces on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite streaming service.